So uh, I thought there was a big football game tonight, but for some reason I don't see the same types of jerseys that I normally see throughout the football season. I'm not. Is that, oh, is that too far? Uh, sorry, I, I think I went too far with that. Come on, it's a major sporting event. You've got to talk a little bit of trash, I, I, I think, with that. Uh, it's, it's really easy for me because I don't have a team that I care about in the NFL, right? So I can, I can just poke fun and, uh, and recognize that my, my favorite NBA team is, is like in last place. So um, I, I, I get it. I, I, I understand. What do you do when uh, things are not going the way that you want them to? Um, I, I typically go through the seven stages of frustration. You guys know what those are? Anger, anger, and anger, you know, <laughs> panic, frustration, anger again. Uh, it never happens at the right time. It's always, always an inconvenient time. Uh, there are a couple things, though, I have learned over the years that, that are really helpful. Uh, <clears throat> one is don't immediately assume that it's the worst possible thing. I, I, I don't know. I, actually, I haven't learned this lesson at all. <laughs> I do that every time anyway. I don't, know, I don't know what it is, but sometimes it can be the most simple thing, but my first thought is it's the worst thing ever. We had our, our air conditioning in our car fixed uh, and after it not running for a long time, and that was great. It was amazing. And then when I went to turn it on the summer after we had gotten it fixed that year, it didn't work again. And I will tell you... Um, you know, once you've gone without it for a few years and then you have it again, you, you don't want to go without it again. And, and my first thought was, great. You know, here, here we've got we to gotta completely replace the whole thing. The motor's not running, the compressor's not working, whatever the thing is. You know, I checked the, uh, I checked the level of the um, um, coolant in it and all that kind of stuff. It, it wasn't working, so I was thinking, great, I've got to take it to a mechanic. Turns out, um, f- some flash of brilliance I had, I guess, because I looked it up on Google. Um, somebody said, you know, have you checked the fuse box? I was like, fuse? Wait, this air conditioning, you have to worry about that? A fuse, you know, with that? And sure enough, little just, you know, five cent piece, just like that had caused it not to work. So I replaced the fuse and I felt like a genius after that. Uh, not like an idiot for panicking for no reason. Uh, my kid, uh, one of my kids uh, really likes to get on the computer and play games with his friends. And uh, at this point in his life, he thinks I'm a tech genius because I can make things work when they don't, uh, because sometimes he gets frustrated, oh, the you know, game's not loading properly, it's not working. And uh, I'm gonna give you this really important, if you don't already know this, don't feel bad, no perfect people allowed, but I'm gonna give you this really important piece of wisdom when it comes to technology. And you're gonna, you, you're gonna, I, lo- I, love the, I love the affirmation that I'm getting right here from, from, uh, from Scott over here, who is a, who is a legit tech genius. Um, that, and, and Rex back there too. Yeah, they know what I'm about to say. Um, if you haven't learned this yet, you're, it's going to make people think that you're brilliant, okay? All you got to do when something isn't working with your tech is turn it off and turn it back on again. That's, that's, that's it. And people will look at you in amazement. And all you have to say is, have you tried turning it off and turning it on again? And it's just this amazing thing. It just magically makes things work, and it's incredible. Your kids think you're a hero and you're brilliant, and so uh, it's, it's, uh, it's great. Actually, what I end up telling them is, you know, you just got to have a little faith. That's all. That's, that, that's all you need. Um, 
I, my, my first step most of the time is go to Google or go to YouTube and try to figure it out and, and work on it. And then I just figure out what the, the cheapest thing that I could do first to try to fix it. You know, I don't do all the testing, you know, all that kind of stuff, the voltage and see if everything's getting power the way it should. I'm just like, I'll, I'll, I'll see if that works. And so I'll go ahead and replace that and go from there. Uh, there's all kinds of things, all kinds of ways that we uh, try to fix things in our life. Uh, last week, we started talking about Genesis, and we talked about the first three chapters of Genesis and how God created this perfect existence for life with him, and we broke it. <laughs> we picked it up in clear daylight, and we scratched it. We, we, we ruined it. Um, and we're left with, for the rest of the Bible, es- essentially, what in the world are we going to do about this? And, and what do we tend to do? What are the solutions that we tend to look for? And, and what, what are our habits when it comes to things not working well in our life? We often seek solutions, uh, but what happens when it's the very nature of our being that's broken and it's not working and we know something has to be done, it has to be fixed. God created the one thing that mattered most and that's relationship and existence with him. And all he asked for us to do is to trust him with that. And we said, nah, I'm good. I mean, that's essentially the case. I, I know, it, you know, no, that was Adam and Eve's fault. Like, it, I wouldn't have done that. Yes, we would have. All, every single one of us make the same decision. Maybe we would have lasted, you know, a couple days longer or something like that. But we all do the same, the same thing. We messed it up. And so what do we do with this now? From the very beginning, God created us for a purpose, to trust him, to walk in harmony with him, and experience life to the fullest. But when we break the covenant of trust with God, when things aren't working the way that they should because of our sin, the sin of others, or just living in a world that's broken by sin, uh, we have to decide what we're going to do with that and whether or not we're going to respond to how God is leading us to deal with the reality of sin in our lives. Over the next several chapters of Genesis, uh, Genesis deals with this. So in Genesis chapter 4 through 11, we get three actually kind of main stories throughout this chunk of Scripture that kind of deal with this issue, that sin has broken the world, it's broken us, uh, we took from the knowledge of tree, uh, the, the tree from the knowledge of good and evil, and somehow it didn't work out well for us. And so it goes through, uh, the Scripture goes through and talks about how it impacts us and what God does about this. The first story right out of the gate is with Cain and Abel. And some of you are very familiar with these stories, and that's fine. They're a really good reminder. And in Genesis chapter 4, we find out that Adam and Eve, they get kicked out of the garden. And right out of the gate, they end up having a couple kids. And the first ever sin that we know about, right after Adam and Eve didn't trust God and they ate from the fruit of the knowledge of tree of good and, uh, good and evil, is murder. Now, you might wonder, how do we go from don't eat that fruit to I'm going to kill somebody? Uh, it seems like quite a leap. Like maybe we would start off with uh, maybe another lie or, you know, you, you gossiped about somebody, you know, you stabbed them in the back. You, you know, that kind of, well, stabbed them in the back. I didn't even mean that one. Um, it's because not trusting God leads us down a dangerous path where, where we seek alternate actions to what God desires. This separation from God, this rebellion against his will, it fractures our very souls and leads to brokenness. And that's how we go from don't eat fruit, and it wasn't really about just the fruit. That's what we talked about last week, to now I'm going to kill somebody over something actually pretty silly. 
The scenario is Cain and Abel both brought something to God as an offering. They recognized him as being creator, and so they brought something to him. And Abel described in the text that he brought the very best out of what he took care of, what he was steward over to God. And, and then the description of what Cain brings is very much like, well, Cain brought something, you know, too. And so there's very clear distinction about the type of gift that they bring to God. Abel came and gave his best because God had given humanity his best. Cain came and brought something, definitely not his best. And his jealousy over Abel making a better decision than his own, in, the, in that jealousy, Cain decides to lure his brother into a field to end his life because Cain felt bad about himself. Just before this happens, God had given Cain instruction on how to navigate this out, unfavorable outcome he just experienced when he hadn't received God's favor for his poor offering. In Genesis chapter 4, and this is before Cain murders Abel, the Lord says to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. It, it, really, it really is that simple. If, if you do what is right, man, things are a lot better in your life. This always, this, when I read this, it makes me think of home improvement projects. Um, because invariably, I go in and start in on a project, and the person who did something before me didn't do it right. I mean, that's generally speaking why I'm having to do that home improvement project. And, and you know, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? <laughs> because the jerk before me didn't do it right. You know, that, that, like that's what caused the problem that I have to deal with to begin with. And it's really easy uh, to feel that way about others, but not evaluate ourselves properly. We have a, he- a tendency, a habit to want to cut corners and, and not do things the right way. Cain made Abel's right offering to God about himself. He didn't immediately think, oh, you know, right, you know, you're right. Abel, you did that the right way, and I should use that as an example, and I should kind of reevaluate my own decision-making. No, he's like, Abel, you did the right thing, and that made me feel bad, so I'm just going to kill you. Um, it d- didn't recognize that it was an own cut corner that placed him in the position to allow his emotions to get the better of him. Despite the fact that God told him this was the problem he was facing and that the way forward was doing what is right. And this is the pervasive problem of sin. And why, especially as we keep three, reading through the text, I mean, murder is like, uh, that, 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 that violence and that evil is like the baseline for what our sin ends up doing in life. Our sin destroys what God created from the beginning. And when we don't subscribe to the trusted truth of God's word, and that he knows better than we do, whether we understand it or not, rather than fulfilling our role as stewards with God in creation, sin ends up stewarding us. Rather than being rulers with God and participating in his creation and the creativity that he gifts us with to live in community with together, we we end up being ruled by our sin. And when we continue reading on through Jesus, we see what happens when humanity continues to follow this same path that Cain chose for his own life. The personal problem of Cain becomes a communal problem. We get to Genesis chapter 6, and then we come to the story of Noah and the flood. And we've probably heard of that. Maybe you were reminded of that uh, this morning as you got up and were experiencing this beautiful spring day on the 11th of February. In Genesis chapter 6, starting verse 5, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination 
of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he, had, he was deeply grieved. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. Have you tried turning it off and on again? For maybe, okay, all right. Uh, mm, all right, maybe not that one. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. So here we've gone to the very good. Humanity is the pinnacle of creation on the sixth day of creation to God being so grieved by our sin and how much we tend to pile it on and compound the problems that we cause that he's ready to wipe the slate clean. Because at some point in our life, there is a, there is a place in which we choose not to return. It's different from saying that the opportunity, that free gift of grace and mercy and love that God offers us to repent and come back to him is taken away. Like he, it's not that he take, takes that away, but at some point when we allow sin to be so pervasive in life that it takes over the way that we think, the way that we treat other people, that it dehumanizes us to a point where we, we're not going to turn back to how God created us and how he wants us to, to live. And Cain never really fully appreciated the weight of his sin. He even kind of missed the point after God called him out on what he had done. Not only did he lie about it and try to cover it up, uh, but what he was worried about after that had nothing to do with the fact that he had broken relationship between him and God. His ma main fear, his reaction was that, well, somebody might, uh, there might be a revenge killing and I would be the uh, target. So God, what are you going to do about that for me? That, that was his response after his, after his sin. And most of the time, most people do not consider or feel the far-reaching impact that our sin really has because we often think of it as a personal problem rather than a communal one. But when sin is pervasive, not only does it hurt us, it hurts our families, it hurts subsequent generations, it hurts our friendships, it hurts our work, and it breaks our communities. And this level of destruction, it, it's not just that it's bad for us and God doesn't want us to get an ouchie, you know. It, it's that it grieves our creator because it breaks the nature of our being. And it doesn't have to be this way. God could be so completely detached from his creation that he could just not really care. He could be dispassionate and let us flounder in our own competing ideas of what living our truth is. But God actually cares about how we experience his creation and how we experience the world together. And the inherent violence and evil that our sin causes can't be allowed to continue unchecked. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 17, God talks to Noah and he says, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. There's a lot that could be said about Noah and the flood and all of the things that are happening here. And maybe it seems difficult to justify that God would hit the reset button here. But that would be a misunderstanding about the impact of evil on the world. In fact, Peter even uses the flood and the flood waters as an analogy to represent not just the washing away of evil, but also of saving those in the ark. If you're not familiar with 1 Peter chapter 3, um, I'm, I'm going to read a few verses for you of, of that text, starting in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God, 
He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. By the way, um, this, is, this is just a side note for fun. Uh, this, is not, this text is not teaching that Jesus, in between his death and resurrection, went to hell and preached to people. Uh, this is pointing out that the Holy Spirit was active in calling people to repentance even in the day of Noah. And, and God wanted people to repent. Noah spent countless years building the ark, and people had an opportunity to respond to what God is doing. Um, and this is, this is what God wants for us. Uh, so let me continue. Uh, in, in it, talking about the ark, this is verse 21, uh, the last sentence. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. It's not typically how we think about the flood story. We think of the destruction and all the things that, uh, all the people and the animals and things that were, were destroyed. But some were saved through water. And Peter goes on and uses this as an analogy and as a symbol of baptism. This water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Not trusting God leads to taking matters into our own hands, and when we take matters into our own hands, we tend to miss the mark, and when we do, it robs us or someone else of their humanity, the way that God created us. It was true in Cain's life. This surrounded Noah and his family, uh, but it affected them in completely different ways, and the difference between the two was simple. Noah did what was right. Cain didn't. And while both show the contrast and result when it comes to trusting God at his word, these two examples also show that the response God has to have to our sin is that God, God has to judge our sin. He's holy, he's righteous, he's good. It can't be a part of who he is. And so justice, and I think most of us, especially when we have an injustice against us, we would agree justice has to take place. But there's also a response that God chooses to have to our sin as well, and that is grace. This is why God doesn't strike Cain dead immediately, and why Noah's family and the rest of the world wasn't utterly, completely destroyed for all time. God is a just God, and he is also a gracious God, and God's judgment is meant to lead us toward his grace. As you keep reading in those chapters, you know, Genesis 4 through 11, especially this, uh, this encounter with, with Noah, it's in Genesis chapter 9 that God establishes the covenant with Noah that he talks about, uh, that we read about here just a few minutes ago, as a reminder of this truth about his character and nature. He uses the rainbow. Maybe we'll get to see, I don't know, actually I have no idea what the weather is supposed to do today. I, I didn't look. Uh, maybe you'll get to see one later this evening. He uses the rainbow as a reminder of the covenant he makes with all life. Despite the destruction that we continually bring down upon ourselves, he won't destroy life like that again. But our memory uh, doesn't give us, doesn't allow us to remember things exactly like we should. Noah, as soon as he had gotten off the ark and his family kind of had established their place to go, uh, place to be and, and to live, uh, one of his first things was to uh, plant some, some food, which is great. Like, that's a wise thing. Uh, but the thing that he was concerned the most, most with was planting his vineyard. 
I, I just want uh, and and as soon as he did that, and as soon as he uh, made made his wine that was fermented, he got drunk. I, I just like I just want you to think about the the time, how long he had planned to, uh, planned to to get drunk. Like that was his thing, getting off the ark. And I'm not saying that he didn't experience have some pretty traumatic experience with with that and and, and that kind of thing. Um, but but just <laughs> that, that that disconnect of of I just want to. You know, I want to escape from reality as, 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 as soon as possible in that moment and, and completely missing the mark. Just right after God had said, evil cannot stand. Like, this is not going to be a part of, of my creation. Um, and <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, think that's, uh, I, think it's, I think it's funny, and I think it's sad, and I think it's, I think it's stuff that we do all the time. Um, not only does he do this, you know, his son... Uh, Ham, um, you know, takes the opportunity to, at best, make fun of his dad's drunkenness and his nakedness in, in, this, in this moment. It's no surprise that even with the memory of the flood fresh, human beings moved on to doing their own thing. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 11, um, we find uh, this final third example of the separation and distance we experience when we don't trust God. This is Genesis chapter 11. And I'm going to only uh, read that first, first chunk um, that deals with the Tower of Babel. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to you, think uh, like uh, Babylonia, that Mesopotamia, that, that area of the world. And they said to each other, come let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. It'd be weird, right, for cultures to gather together to build uh, towers that would scrape the sky uh, as a monument to their own genius and power and wealth. That would be strange. But the Lord... Uh, pay attention to, to this wording, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, uh, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Why would God confuse the language of humanity? Well, it's because there's no end to the nothing that we can accomplish when we set our minds to it. So much, so much of our activity, so much of our busyness, uh, so much of our stress and anxiety and worry is wrapped up in stuff that just doesn't matter. Um, it, it doesn't create anything not only that will last or is worth, worth lasting when left to our own devices. It's never been more easy to waste time and not be productive or participate in things that last than it is right now. We have all kinds of distractions at our disposal, and while we've become much more individualistic, you know, rather than building things together, we often prefer to build up ourselves, the result is the same. On a large scale, we tend to focus on things that replace God with what we believe we can control and achieve whether it's economic growth for ourselves or uh, political power that we think will make everything better 
or, or, even, um, or even religious expression in replace of real relationship. Humans have a tendency to make mountains out of insignificance. That's what's so interesting about how, um, how Moses writes this down and how, how God communicates this. Let's, let's go down and see what the cute little people are building on their cute, you know, let's go see the little Lego, you know, structure that, that, that they're building. And, and I just have this picture of, of, of God, you know, kind of, kind of looking over, you know, and just, oh, how sweet, you know, look, look at the, that, you know, kind of flurry, flurry of activity. Um, Sin, it, it breaks who we are, and it corrupts the meaningfulness of what we do. It causes empty behavior. It causes confusion. And what we need is a common language for why we were created and what we were created for. And this is both represented in the judgment and grace of God. It's like, oh, there's no end to the nothing that we can't accomplish if we put our minds to it. And God says, this is not right. You're wasting your time. Okay, I told you, I told you to spread out, be fruitful, multiply. You're not doing that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push you, push you along the way. But if you keep reading, you know, we read after the Tower of Babel, then we get into the life of uh, Abram and Abraham, the covenant that God establishes with him. It seems like, well, what's the, you know, what's the follow-up grace to this thing that God does here in the Tower of Babel? Well, um, sometimes God works on a different timeline than what we would expect. And there's certainly judgment represented in the Tower of Babel story, but the grace part is a little bit further down the road. And if you turn your Bibles all the way to Acts chapter 2, and this is after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. This is after the establishment of, uh, you know, him sending the disciples out uh, to go out into all the world, uh, teaching and baptizing. Uh, In Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem, when the day of Pentecost came, the disciples were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Now, you know, we could, we could kind of um, look at that and, and just kind of understand that as people were just hearing their own language. So if their native tongue was Spanish, they were hearing the disciples speak in Spanish. If their native, native tongue uh, was, uh, uh, was Greek, they were ancient Greek, they were hearing the disciples speak in ancient Greek. Um, and that's one way you could think of it. And that's absolutely true. Like, that, that's how we're to uh, under, understand that. But there's something even deeper than that, too. Um, our commonly understood language has a lot to do, has much more to do with just the words that we say and the combination of words that we use. It also has to do with our morality, it has to do with our ethics, has to do with our wisdom, has to do with our understanding of purpose and meaning. And, and what God is doing here is, is not, just, um, not just this special, you know, spiritual gift to be able to speak in a, in a known language, even though you didn't, didn't study it beforehand. It's also that the message of the kingdom of God and the gospel transcends language and culture and meaning and experience and emotion, not just because it, it's meant to overpower these things, because that's how some people have used the kingdom of God and the gospel in the past, but because it is built on the foundation of how and why those things were created for us to know and experience. 
And this is why Christianity has sped, spread so far and so deeply across history and culture and changed the way we think about what is good and evil and right and wrong, because it is based on what has been true from the beginning. We've been given, uh, we, we've been given the language to be able to express and know and do what is right, so that we will not be ruled by sin any longer. These, these stories that, that we read in Genesis chapter 4 through 11 are examples of how pervasive sin can be and how far off course it can take us from what God created us for. And yet, and yet we focus on what he's given us to know and do and understand, to, to do what is right and to walk faithfully with him. Um, the purpose and the meaning, the common language that we share, the relationships that we were meant for, the community that we we're supposed to have, the, the personal relationship with God that he desires for us to experience the joy and the goodness from those things. Like, we, we can share in those things now. In, in the Tower of Babel, you know, it's not about the common tongue and what can be accomplished, but that the language of the gospel is what can be universally understood and spoken and lived, and it builds the kingdom of God for which we were created. And God's covenant with Noah to not destroy life again through floodwaters, it remains to this day, his reminder remains to this day because it's a reminder of how humanity's pride in itself leads to destruction and judgment. But even then, God will renew with his grace. And God's grace for the first ever murderer in humanity, Cain, was to mark him so that he wouldn't be killed for his actions, so he wouldn't suffer the same consequences that he put on somebody else. In the day and age that we live in, we find ourselves living within cultures that we have to recognize are broken systems. And sometimes when we're faithfully walking with God, we find ourselves having to navigate broken community. And when we're confronted with the fact that we have participated in sin and deserve judgment, may we be reminded of God's covenant of grace. And may we walk faithfully with him, trusting in his unfailing love and forgiveness that we're offered through the seal of redemption and forgiveness afforded to us by Jesus. What's your next step in doing what is right and faithful? with God. Maybe it's learning the language of the gospel and the kingdom of God and applying it to how you derive God's purpose and will for your life. Maybe it's standing firm even when those around you aren't. Or maybe it's exchanging the marks sin has left on your life for the marks Jesus took upon himself at the cross so that you can experience God's grace. You know, we read a little bit earlier with Peter, chapter 3, verses 18, uh, starting in verse 18, you know, this picture, the symbolism that, that baptism creates for us, this death, burial, and resurrection that we participate in where, you know, sin and death and those consequences are washed away so that we can be redeemed and renewed, that we can face God's judgment through Jesus and experience that free grace of life and meaning and purpose in a commonly understood language that we were meant to be a part of from the beginning. Um, if, if you need to make a decision, if you need to take a next step in your life, we want to be the type of place where, um, where you do that, uh, where you ask the questions that you have, you deal with the struggle, the doubt that you may be facing. Um, maybe uh, maybe uh, sin, you know, maybe you have felt it crouching at your door. Uh, and, and God offers a, a completely different way of living and a freedom that can't be known anywhere outside of Jesus. And so that's what we celebrate, and that's what we look toward, and that's, that's why our lives can be transformed. 
Uh, every week at Velocity, we celebrate communion together because it's, it's the foundation of this being true in our life, that Jesus died um, for our sins, that he was raised again, became a living sacrifice so that uh, despite God's judgment, we could experience his grace and the life that we were always meant for. Uh, so we're going to celebrate that time together. I'm going to say a word of prayer, and then we've got a couple different tables around the room with a uh, couple cups stacked together of juice and a bread that represents Jesus' broken body and his shed blood for us. Uh, so let's, let's pray together as we uh, prepare for that time. God, um, we, uh, we recognize uh, the brokenness uh, that, our, that our sin creates, and God, we humbly uh, bow before you, recognize uh, you are the rightful, rightful one as creator to mete out justice in the way that we break our relationship with you. God, we also, um, we also praise you and give you glory and honor and praise for the fact that um, you, took, you took that judgment upon yourself at the cross and enabled us to be redeemed and reconciled to you. God, help us to, to see and understand how um, this gives us a whole different way of, of living and help us to, to recognize how Jesus models for that for us, how he teaches that for us so that we know what is right and so we can walk faithfully with you and experience the life that you always created us for. God, we praise you for, uh, for this truth. We praise you for, for this time together that we're, we can be reminded of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.